Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. And with me today is a very special guest. I'm talking with Steve Jacobs, and we're talking about medicine, how medicine works, and if Marcus Welby and the image of Marcus Welby has gone away. I really think this is a great topic. Uh, we have a primary care audience, and our guest is certainly well-equipped to speak. Steve Jacob has covered health policy for newspaper magazines, health care organizations for many years, and he really has studied the health care situation pretty closely, and we've had lots of changes. So first of all, Stephen, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Brian. I'm, I'm really uh, honored to be here. You know, when you mentioned the topic, that was the first thing I saw when I saw the whole idea. For those of us who grew up and watched Marcus Welby, and of course many more who have heard about Marcus Welby, quintessential family physician, did it all, uh, you know, worked out of his house. People didn't pay him with chickens, but they might as well have. He was doing home visits. <laughs> you know, Tell me a little bit about that image, where it's gone, and, and, and where you see from your perspective healthcare going. Well, you know, I think um, uh, in a lot of ways, I, his spirit's still there, and there are still a lot of Marcus Welby's around. But the, the thing that's kind of going away is his business model, the whole idea that um, you can be a solo practitioner and sort of face all of the uh, the headwinds that you have to face as a physician with all the government regulation, uh, the fact that you've got to have, uh, you know, you, you talk about your, uh, a primary care uh, physician. Uh, right now, uh, Marcus Welby, had a partner, and they had one nurse-slash-receptionist. And the average uh, primary care physician today has to have five employees for every physician. So, you know, Marcus Welby would have 10, 10 employees now as opposed to the one uh, to support those two, two physicians. So um, the big problem is back then, um, you know, in, in you know, Marcus Welby's day, Insurance companies just paid whatever he built. You know, they built for customary and reasonable services or fees, and that's not done today. Uh, uh, physicians are uh, their reimbursement is flat or declining, and their uh, practice expenses are going up. So, you know, I've talked to doctors, um, you know, throughout my reporting, where I'll, I'll they'll say stuff like, uh, you know, my income is maybe thirty to fifty percent lower than it was. Five years ago, you know, that's okay. My kids are gone, and, you know, I like my job, and so what. But I I think very few of us, you know, who are not doctors, would be okay with that. And I think we are going to pay a price for this uh, long term, again, because we have more and more people getting insurance. But the access, I think, is going to become more and more difficult. You know, it's interesting you bring it up. I have a partner, actually, who talks about that all the time. He says, you know, if I look at myself, I'm spending more time online, working on the computer, doing these charts, answering these questions, this, that, and the other thing. He feels his patients are getting less attention, and he really feels he's got all these other people he's carrying by the work he's doing that he doesn't know what they bring to the table. I mean, he's cynical, but but he brings a lot of good points up. No, I, I think that's absolutely true, and, and we've really gotten into our, ourselves into a muck uh, as a result of this. And it's because of the sort of jerry-rigged way our healthcare system um, uh, developed. Uh, you know, when you compare our healthcare costs with all the other uh, developed nations, we uh, not only spend far more than they do, but we spend our, our government spends almost as much on health care as their governments do too. Then we just have a bunch of uh, private spending lumped on top of that. So there's a lot of reasons for that. It's um, you know the fact that uh, health insurance uh, after World War II became uh, tax deductible, and the fact that the patients are shielded by the cost uh, because their uh, insurers pay for most of it. Although that's changing. Uh, so there's a lot of reasons for this, but we have a, a, a tremendous administrative burden in this country. 
Do you see it getting better or do you see it getting worse? Well, I see it. Uh, I don't see it getting any better. I mean, I, at this point, you know, I, I think, you know, I'm off. I do a lot of speaking, obviously, because I have, I have books to sell. But, uh, you know, what uh, the biggest question I always get is are we going to have a socialized health care system or universal health care? And I think, uh, you know, the answer I usually give is that. Um, uh, likely uh, by the middle of the next decade, we will have something that looks much like what the European nations have. And that's not a universal health care system. It's a dual health care system where, you know, maybe 80 to 90 percent are treated by, uh, you know, a government employee or, uh, you know, uh, government programs or government insurance. Uh, and then the others will have more of a private system. You know, and, and you know, you, you go to England, which is arguably the most socialized system, um, you know, they encourage that because, they, you know, for people who can afford it, uh, they don't, they're not griping about the fact that they're, you know, they have these long waiting lines and they, they can buy their way out of it. So I think we're going to end up more and more like the European systems. And in some respects, they'll look more and more like us because I think the private systems will, you know, become a little bit more muscular too. So that's where I think we're headed, and I'm not so sure that we're we're going to be looking that much better. I think the only glimmer of hope is the fact that insurance companies are now starting to pay for value rather than uh, volume of care. And um, what needs to happen is that insurance companies need to pay doctors for doing things that keep people healthy. And right now, insurance companies don't do that. They pay, you know, you, Dr. Brian, for doing stuff. And so, um, you know, I, I think when that comes, we, we might have a little bit different uh, health care system. You know, you do bring that up. That is a very interesting thing, although a lot of people will tell you at this point, quality is more or less keeping costs down. I mean, I think the things that they're pointing as quality metrics are getting people out of the hospital in three days instead of five, or in my mind, I envision quality as you're able to reduce the incidence of this disease or that disease or get them flu shots or, you know what I'm saying, kind of intervene, get them to make lifestyle changes, uh, lose weight, being involved in preventive medicine, I think is where we need to get some sort of support in the system. And, of course, you know, there's a lot of people with a lot of opinions, but I think that's where your savings would be, thinking ahead 5, 10, 15 years as opposed to the savings that occur right now. By the way, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and I am speaking with award-winning journalist Steve Jacob. And I want to talk a little bit about your book, So Long, Marcus Welby, MD, How Today's Health Care is Suffocating Independent Physicians and How Some Changed to Thrive. What about those who change to thrive? What are they doing? Well, what a lot of them are doing are um, things like they're, they're, they're creating their own small practices. You know, some think of, uh, you know, the, the classic one is a concierge physician, one of whom I do profile in there, uh, and he charges his patients quite a bit. But there are other uh, physicians that are doing something called uh, micro practices where they've gone completely the opposite, and they look a whole lot more like what Marcus Welby was um, in that they strip away all of their overhead and they see fewer patients and they're able to kind of earn about the same amount of money they would uh, if they had this big, you know, practice with all these people they had uh, employed and were seeing 30 patients a day. So technology has allowed uh, physicians to do everything they need to do. They answer their own phone. Uh, they keep their own uh, uh, medical records. They, you know, file all their uh, all their prescriptions with uh, electronically with pharmacies. So they've gone uh, that route. Um, there are a few that uh, have gone who, who do, uh, you know, and I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but they, they're doing uh, independent practice models where, where 
doctors will sort of maintain independence, but they sort of uh, uh, get together in what's called an IPA, uh, Independent Practice Association, and they are able to kind of negotiate uh, as a group to uh, with with insurance companies. So different emerging models are, are popping up, I think, uh, here. And I think that that's, you know, a lot of physicians, if they really work hard, can maintain that independence. But I, I think that's sort of a, a minority viewpoint that uh, I think, by and large, when you talk to young doctors who've never heard of Marcus Welby when they're coming out of, of medical school, they all expect to be employed and uh, uh, you will never think about being their own independent physician. One of the things I do, among other things, we teach young physicians, residency program, and what I see is a lot of them, and I can't say they're right or wrong, but what has really changed things as well is the work hours that residents have. Now, I'm not one of these people who says you should have a 15-hour workday day after day after day and do what we did when we were young, but but the fact that they're kind of trained to go home at 4 o'clock and the fact that you cannot have them stay longer if they've been on call because it goes against the rules, it really is starting to build a generation of those who believe it is hourly. Absolutely, and and it's going to take, um, and I think that's underappreciated, the fact that, that to replace a physician, and right now um, more than four out of ten physicians are 55 years or older, and they are uh, they are retiring, and most of those people worked uh, 70, 80 hours a week because they had their own independent practices, and so they're retiring, and the young physicians are working more like 40 hours a week. They want life balance. Um, female uh, physicians tend to work uh, less because they have family obligations. And right now, about half of the medical school enrollment uh, is women. So uh, not that they're not going to make great doctors, but they um, they have other priorities. So it's going to take two of the young doctors to replace one of the old ones. And uh, the math is rather daunting when you when you sort all that out. What about the concept of nurse practitioners? Um, we, we have nurse practitioners, again, work with us, and I see a great variability. Um, unfortunately, there's not as much consistency in the education. It's, it's shorter, and there are Correct. some programs which are easier than the others, and there's some where they really get fantastic experience. How is that going, and, and, and have you dealt into that issue and where it's impacting healthcare? Yeah, um, you know, right now, nurse practitioners and physician assistants can do about 80% of what primary care doctors can do. Uh, you know, arguably, uh, there's some argument over whether they do it as well as physicians. Most of the research says that if they stay within that that narrow range or that, you know, that ch- that 80% chunk to get a job. Um, and I think that's really where we're going to head because you're, you're going to end up with a lot of different sites of care uh, and that will siphon off uh, some of the demand that's going to be created through the Affordable Care Act and just through just uh, population growth and the fact that we're not growing uh, the physician workforce. So I think that's inevitable. And, uh, again, nurse practitioners, it depends what they can do really very much depends on what state they're in. Um, if they're in a state like Texas where uh, very strong physician lobby, uh, the scope of practice for nurse practitioners is is fairly limited, but if you go to mountain states, uh, by necessity, nurse practitioners can do almost everything that physicians can do, simply because they're so few and far between. Literally, you know, uh, you know, an hour's drive away. So uh, I think you're going to see that more and more uh, because we can produce uh, them a lot faster, and the pipeline is a lot shorter. 
What do you see as the good and the bad? Do you think healthcare is going to get better, or do you think it's going to get worse based on all the changes that you're seeing thus far? Well, I think um, it's going to get better uh, in in the respect that if you look at uh, accountable care organizations and you know consider primary care now, where you're looking at the patient center medical homes in the accountable care organizations, and I, and I assume you've talked a little bit about these uh, organizations on your show, but essentially these are uh, medical entities that are created to take care of the whole person and keep people healthy. And in that respect, I think there is great hope for the healthcare system in these particular kinds of organizations because they go after the very expensive people uh, in healthcare. Right now, uh, 5% of the people generate 50% of the costs. And so what these uh, organizations are doing is are, are throwing a lot of resources at these people who are generating all these costs and doing a pretty good job of, of corralling that. Secondly, they do... Uh, they concentrate on uh, gaps in care, which you know all about in primary care, which is people are not, you know, they're they're not doing all the preventive service they need to be doing, and so uh, practitioners are, are becoming much more proactive about uh, getting, uh, reaching out to people, making sure they come in and do do what they need to do, and then uh, chronic disease management uh, done correctly. Uh, I don't think it's going to so much save money, but it's going to it's going to keep people healthier. So I have great hope for those kinds of things, and a uh, a much uh, greater emphasis on quality care. I think that's really good. I am uh, less um, optimistic about costs uh, right now. Healthcare costs have been moderating uh, over the past two or three years. It's still growing faster than the economy, but it's not nearly what it was before. Uh, but it's kind of like we're gaining fewer and fewer pounds every year, but we're still gaining weight. So, uh, you know, there is there is that situation. But I think another thing I'm kind of pessimistic about, and I think we all have to worry about, is the fact that uh, high deductible plans are spreading like wildfire, and people tend to, well, they don't tend to, they do self-diagnose, and research shows they they uh, forego care at equal amounts of needed and unneeded care. And I think that's going to be uh, a big problem going forward because we are self-diagnosing. Steve Jacob, I want to thank you for joining us. He is the author of So Long, Marcus Welby, MD, How Today's Healthcare is Suffocating Independent Practices and How Some Change to Thrive. Uh, he draws on dozens of interviews, more than 500 published sources to cover these issues and describe how the landscape is changing. I think it would be an excellent read, especially for those of us involved in primary care, just to get another perspective and see what he thinks about it. Thank you very much, Steve. Thank you, Brian. This is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed part of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash primary care today to download the podcast and learn more on the series.